From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In today's episode, we hear from Laura Rotter and Rock Robinson. After 30 years of successfully managing money for institutional investors, including Citicor and Para Advisors, Laura Rotter founded her own firm, True Abundance Advisors, a fiduciary fee-only financial planning firm. You'll learn how Laura was able to create a business that was in alignment with her own values and took advantage of her strengths. Rock Robinson is an accomplished sales executive with 40 years of achievement, growing revenue with the likes of McGraw-Hill, Sally May, Stericycle, and the University of Phoenix. You'll learn how Rock developed a framework for developing new relationships that can open up fabulous opportunities. Stay with us to hear all the details. Do you struggle to take consistent action on building your business? How do you feel about your business building progress? Would you like to be part of a structured, supportive process to help you implement ideas that you know will help you move the needle toward your goals? As a member of the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll have access to a structured process for growth. You'll also be a member of a community that is built to be a safe, caring place where inclusive, direct, active, and empowering conversations are welcome. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support you as an entrepreneur, access to experts, and answers to your burning questions. If you're committed to getting your consulting, coaching, or small business to grow on your own terms so that you can deliver great results to your ideal clients while supporting the lifestyle you want, and you don't want to do it alone, apply to become a member of the Smashing the Plateau community. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. We begin with Laura Rotter discussing her career. After 30 years of successfully managing money for institutional investors, including Citicorp and Power Advisors, Laura founded her own firm, True Abundance Advisors, a fiduciary fee-only financial planning firm located in White Plains, New York, with a satellite office in New York City. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. Uh, It's great to have you on. So Laura, what caused you to start your own firm after a very successful 30-year career on Wall Street? Well, first of all, I want your listeners or our listeners to know that I was 15 years old when I started on Wall Street. So it's an important piece of information. I often talk about my time working as an institutional analyst and investor on Wall Street as um, divided into three parts. The first 10 years, I loved, loved, loved what I did. The second 10 years, I was raising a family and just took it for granted as the primary breadwinner that this is what I did to contribute to my family. But by the end of my career, and again, it was close to 10 years, I did not like what I did at all. The work was not interesting. I found that the investments didn't reward you for the risk, and I didn't enjoy the people I was working with. So you can hear, though, that it was a long time till I actually left. And the precipitating event, actually, there were two. In 2008, clearly with what happened in the market, I considered leaving. And then in 2013, when I was working for the hedge fund group of Citibank, 
there was a company-wide layoff of a group of people and I was let go with severance. Mm. And so I never considered at that point going back. And I thought about how do I use my gifts on understanding markets, understanding numbers, understanding finance to work with individuals. And during that tenure, I sort of feel like I have a run-on sentence, but during that tenure period of time, I had begun self-exploration. I had started to practice yoga and learn to hear deep inside what I needed. I took a meditation teacher training. So when the time came to rethink my personal life journey, I felt like there was some mission for me to use the skills I had developed on Wall Street and the skills I had developed in my more spiritual work to merge the two. And uh, so that was my initial thought. I wanted to work with women, having spent most of my career surrounded by men. I wanted to work with women and help them with their finances. And that was what I set out to do in, uh, when I left Wall Street, November 2013. And how soon after you got your notice that you were going to be laid off, did you say to yourself, I'm now an entrepreneur? Pretty immediately, I was lucky enough both to have accumulated assets in the bank that gave me the ability to take my time to move towards growing a firm, as well as having a severance package that you know continued to pay me. I started to informational interview. And I, in the course of this informational interviewing, ended up getting job offer from an existing broker dealer to join them as a financial planner, financial advisor, wealth manager. There's a lot of words used to describe what I do. And so though my intention had been to go out on my own, I quickly realized, especially once I had the offer, that I I wasn't exactly sure what it was that a financial planner did. So it would be helpful to work for another firm. I learned a lot with that firm and at the same time learned a lot about this industry, which is there are different ways to be compensated. And when you work for a broker dealer, you're not always working in the client's best interest. I never saw anything inappropriate done, but there's sort of a different standards. And so there are suitability standards and commissions generated by sales of certain products. And I um, ultimately found that distasteful, even if, again, nothing blatant was ever done wrong. I felt like we were always aware that if you sold a certain product, you would generate more income for the firm and therefore for yourself. And that made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. I um, mean, even though in theory there, there isn't supposed to be a conflict of interest, it still sounds like there is potentially an inherent conflict of interest. Exactly. At the same time, back to what I said earlier of wanting to merge more 
spirituality, if you will, into the financial planning process. I really wanted to start my own firm to, for lack of a better term, institutionalize a process. In general, when you're advising individuals, if you're a heart-centered person, you are, you are going to get to know them. That being said, I wanted a firm where there was a process of asking deep questions helping catalyze self-exploration on the part of my clients. And I came to feel that I could only do that by going out on my own. So after a little under two years, I left actually in February 2016 with nothing in place because I really did enjoy and respect the people I work with. And I didn't want to be going behind their back you know, developing anything while still working for them. So I I left that firm in February 2016 and started my own firm in late spring of 2016. And I guess I just want to say one of the things I did is I became a certified financial planner. I had already been a certified financial analyst. That's a designation that I used for many years, again, on Wall Street, on an institutional Wall Street. But one of the reasons I left is I, I wanted to pass the certified financial planning exam. And uh, I left my time, myself time to study in between starting my own firm and leaving the uh, existing broker-dealer. Yeah, so it's interesting that you had a particular idea in mind about running your own firm right out of the starting gate when you left employment in 2013, but then you, there was this unexpected offer and you, you made a pivot to go work for somebody else in a slightly, I guess, a, whether it's, you would consider it a different field or maybe um, you know, certainly different than working for a big institution, but there was that unexpected opportunity of working for somebody else to both gain some knowledge and also do something very different than you had done before for a short period of time, a couple of years. Yes. And one of the things that I've observed is, especially with entrepreneurs, there are often these unexpected opportunities that show up and they can lead to, often to something that turns out to be quite, quite rewarding. I mean, it's interesting, David, because I think we could broaden that to say that whenever you start opening your heart and being more aware of what's around you, often there are opportunities that show up that you didn't expect. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. So with that in mind, what happened following spring of 2016 when you went full throttle into your own firm? I'm sure you hear from many entrepreneurs, it's an ongoing journey. The first thing that came to mind when you asked me that question is uh, learning how to price and continuing to learn what kind of clients I want to work with. I do remember at a a friend, this is a sort of a, a cute story, a friend of mine, Sherry Perlman, is, had a listserv of She's a psychologist of other people in her field. And immediately I had a couple call me and I met with them and they were eager. They, they became my clients then or still my clients. And I, I asked them, how did you meet me? And they said, oh, we were looking at Listserv and our good friend, Sherry Perlman, you know, I see posted your name and 
I asked how they knew Sherry and the way they knew Sherry was clearly not the same Sherry I was referring to. She, you know, did not attend the institution they talked about. And I half jokingly said, you know, they had written a check for my first fee payment. I said, would you like your check back? Because this is a different Sherry Perlman who put my name up. But again, you know, who knows why things happen? Again, they're my, they've been my clients longest. But so I feel like when I started, clients seemed to appear. And in a certain way, it seemed easier when I first started my business to find clients than now, three years later, I feel like I'm working on being much more intentional about who exactly I want to work with and how exactly I charge. And uh, having never run my own business before, these are all a mix always of excitement as I continue to learn new things and, and challenge. Yeah. So what does it feel like to work on some of these things that are brand new to you after a long career that you started at age 15? <laughs> um, it's, I guess the word that keeps coming to mind is exciting on some level. You know, I'm, I know you interview people, including myself, who are older. You know, I'm certainly not in my 30s or even 40s. And I feel sometimes blessed that I I'm challenging myself so much to grow, to explore new things, to explore new ways of communicating to when so many other people my age are just figuring out what's the net, you know, Netflix show they want to watch. So I feel like it's very exciting. It's put me in place to meet a lot of new people, including yourself. And of course, the moments of uh, frustration. But frankly, having been so unhappy for such a long time in my previous career, I I do pinch myself every day that I get to choose how I spend my time and where I spend my time. Mm, yeah, that that is definitely quite a blessing to be able to do that. Yes. Laura, what have been some of the most helpful kinds of resources as you've been going through this journey over the last, I guess it's like seven years at this point? I, not quite. I mean, 2016, I guess, yes, but it's been a while. Yeah, I was thinking about since you got laid off. Since I got laid right? off. Like you, you've had a, f- a couple of iterations that have led you to where you are now. Iterations where you have been in charge in a way that you weren't for the first 30 years of your career. Yes. I guess it's interesting what comes to mind now. And so a message I'd give to anyone going on this entrepreneurial journey, it's very easy to fall into the rhythm of being an employee again, an employee of your own business, and therefore in some ways a victim of the worst boss in the world who's making you get up at a certain time and getting a certain amount of things done. And It's only been the last couple of years, perhaps the last year, where I find a lot of my work is finding teachers and coaches that help me embrace joy. I truly do believe that we all on this earth have a mission, and that mission is to find what makes you come alive and then go do it. And I would say the first couple of years, I clearly wanted stability, and so I I kept to the same routine of getting up and how I spent my day, and 
I'm coming to realize that that's not the gift I want to give myself. And that's not the gift I want to give my clients. And so, uh, you know, as I look here, I, I see I have a book uh, called The Firestarter Sessions by uh, Daniel Laporte, again, talking about who do you want to be? What do you want to feel during the day? And I try every morning to journal to myself and, and uh, write down what those attributes are that I want to bring into the world each day. And Laura, what are some of the things that, that you've done or, or ways that you have found those kinds of resources that have been really helpful in both clarifying what your mission is and then fulfilling it? The one thing that comes to mind is finding like-minded people. I feel like I've been blessed in having both coaching groups in a coaching group with you, in a larger coaching group of financial advisors, other entrepreneurs and other businesses, but like-minded people that are looking to bring themselves into the world. So as someone who spent a lot of my previous career basically in front of spreadsheets on computers and not as much individual interaction, that's where I get a lot of my ideas from. That's where I I get a lot of my strength from. And um, so being open to constantly meeting new people. And, and I guess another thing I'd like to say, I'm in a group with other financial advisors and I was recently on a call where one said, um, oh, I want to get the, you know, these four letters after my name. And uh, perhaps I take it for granted because I did have the Wall Street background, but I've been taking classes and workshops, uh, learning to be a better listener. I feel like that's something that it's not an easy activity. It doesn't come easily to people of learning just to perhaps sit in some uncomfortable silence, ask reflective questions. So that's also resources that I've reached out for. Yeah. And Laura, at, at this point, given everything you've done over the last few years, where are you in identifying who your ideal client is? Uh, closer than I ever been. Um, as I said earlier, I had started my firm believing that my uh, most of my clients would be women. It turns out at this point, most of my clients are couples. And yet I'm still drawn to work with women and specifically women in a transition and more specifically women in a career transition. We, we teach what we continuously need to learn. I still identify, I still self-identify as someone in a career transition. I let go of, a, of an identity that I, though perhaps towards the end I didn't like the work, I certainly liked the identity. And I want to help others explore, you know, others who feel sort of dead inside from having to keep doing the same thing every day that no longer wakes them up. So both help with the exploration as as well as helping with the financial aspect of the change. And that's certainly like in my case, a big thing, understanding, you know, what my expenses were, how do I cut them? How do I invest appropriately? How do I make sure I have enough insurance? All these kind of financial questions that help the, the life goal. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, they're very much intertwined. So Laura, for anyone who may want to 
go deeper with anything we've discussed today, access any resources you have or get in touch with you, where is the best place for them to go? Well, first of all, to learn about me, please um, go to my website, uh, True Abundance Advisors, and that's advisors with an O, dot com. And um, please feel free to reach out to me. My email address is Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at trueabundanceadvisors.com. Great. Well, Laura, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo and sharing your insights, sharing your experiences, and share your story. My guest today has been the owner of True Abundance Advisors, Laura Rotter. Thank you again, Laura, for joining us. Thank you so much, David, for inviting me. Now we shift to Rock Robinson sharing his career journey. Rock is an accomplished sales executive with 40 years of achievement, growing revenue with the likes of McGraw-Hill, Sally Mae, Stericycle, and the University of Phoenix. In 2015, after being severed for the third time and experiencing a personal tragedy, he took a leap of faith and formed Rock Solid Sales Consulting. For the last seven years, he has provided services as a fractional sales leader and coach to sales leaders. Born and raised in the Detroit suburbs, Cincinnati has been his home for the last 30 years. Rock, welcome to the show. Oh, David, thanks for having me. So you've had a long career, and um, you know clearly from, from what I've just said in the introduction, a couple or more unexpected bumps in the road, both um, you know professionally and personally, which um, you know bumps and other kinds of unexpected disruptions are part of life. Tell me a little bit about your career and how these um, incidents impacted your your plan and what you did. Sure, uh, thanks. You know, the majority of my career, David, has been with Fortune 500 companies and uh, and really at the end, some mid-sized companies that were positioned for sale. And that was what I was brought in to do as a sales leader. I was on what you would proverbially call the hamster, the corporate hamster wheel. I was just gone all the time. I'm traveling three out of the four weeks. I'm in hotels. I'm in airports. I'm eating way too much food. I can tell you that. And I'm away from my family. And, uh, you know, at some point in time, I think that was a huge contributor to say, you know, really what's next. The, The last 12 years, as you said in my little bio, I had the pleasure to help companies grow to be sold, but I severed myself three times. So for those that are listening that have lost their job or in transition, I've been there. Uh, I've understood it. I've tried to figure some things to do for the next time that came around. So I call them God winks. They're not coincidences. They're God winks that all of these things happen that almost put me where I am today. I wouldn't be where I'm at if those things didn't happen. So I want to encourage others that those things didn't feel very good when they happen, but uh, you'll be amazed at what can happen down the road. So what did you learn each time that helped you deal with them the next time something happened? You know, I, I would I would tell people, I talk to a lot of people in transition because they go, Rock, I know I've heard your story. You've been through some of these things. And I say, you always have to be building your brand. It sounds too easy. It's when we lose our job, we go out and say, man, I got to meet some folks. I got to figure out how I'm going to get my next gig. But you have to do it while you have your job. You know, and and it, it's easier said than done, but uh, you'll hear a lot of reference in, in our talks here to networking, but it's critical. And please network when you have a job is, is my strongest uh, suggestion. 
Yeah, you know what that reminds me of? I have a friend who's a banker, uh-huh. and he always says, the time to apply for credit is not when you need it. Mm-hmm. Time mm-hmm. to apply for credit is when you don't need it, because that's sure. when you get it. If you sure. wait till you need it, you're not going to get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so what were some of the techniques that you employed to build your brand? You know what? Uh, first and foremost, I I think networking in itself is easy to say. You know, I got to meet people. But I thought I knew a lot of people in Cincinnati. I knew nobody. <laughs> really? Really? When you, when you think about it, it's a big city, right? And But I wanted to meet new people. I didn't want to know the people that I did. But when I met people... I had to be prepared to be able to ask questions that really you have to connect with individuals. Connection leads to like, like leads to trust, and trust leads to an opportunity, business, or a relationship. And what I found along the way, my experience told me I was doing this enough that I found five questions that you always have to ask during networking in order to create that like. And they're just, I call them Rocks Fab Five because I'm from Michigan and there was a basketball team that was the Fab Five. So I said, they're the Fab Five questions that you always ask during networking. And when I'd meet with people, I'd share that. And it's just not the questions themselves, but how you ask the questions that really made a difference. And I think helped a lot of people and it helped me along the way. All right, so I have to ask you, Rock, what are the five questions? (laughs) (laughs) See, I teased you, you're coming at it. And they're so simple, but they're how you ask the question. The first one's a geographic question. I'd say, David, where are you originally born and raised? I'm looking for connections. I don't ask where you live today. I want multiples. So myself, I'm from Detroit. Then I moved to Chattanooga. And then I live to live in Cincinnati. I have three potential connections. There's something about geography. When we talk and ask, I could be in Florida and I see somebody with a Cincinnati T-shirt. I'll go, hey, where are you at? And where, where are you from in Cincinnati? Right. I, I'm, I'm, there is geography. So easy, simple, soft. Number one. Number two is family. And I say it that way. I'd say, David, family, because in today's environment, I'm not asking somebody if they're married. I'm not asking if they have kids. You know, I'm more of a senior player. People come to me and they'll say, Rock, do you have grandkids? You know why they're asking me why do I have grandkids? Because they want to tell me about their grandkids. Okay. So I figured out that based on the questions, it's so open-ended, right? And I want them to tell me what family is. I've had people tell me their family is their two German shepherds. Oh, they're awesome. I go, you got dogs? I got dogs. They tell me about their parents. They tell me about their siblings. They'll tell me about a wife if they had one. How about if I asked him if he was married, a gentleman, and he's going through a nasty divorce? I think we've really not connected right there. I've just brought up something I didn't want to bring up, right? And so it's open-ended question. That's two, family. Three is tell me school. Same thing with school, open-ended. David, I'm not asking you where where you went to college. How about if you didn't go to college? You know, how does that make you feel? I want to not be threatening in my questions and I want to hear feedback. I went to a high school, 70% of my graduating high school class went to work for three companies in Detroit. Guess who they were? General Motors, Ford, or Chrysler. Okay. And they're all retired. Yeah, I never would have guessed. (laughs) So, and they've told me they may have went into service. I go, awesome. Tell me what service you were in. You know, if I was a service guy and you were in the army and I'm in the army, we've connected. Or I went to work, I had to provide for my family right away. You know, I had a young family. So my uh, school is number three. Four is tell me about your career journey. You've kind of done that a little here. I want people to tell me, I want to see if I can connect with the types of jobs they had, the locations, the type of work, retail, commercial, private, public, family-owned, all these different things. And then the very last one uh, is, 
uh, David, tell me what you're passionate about. You know, when I can learn what you're passionate about, it's a little different than what's your hobbies, right? I could be passionate about giving to the church and I just, you know, but that's not a hobby. So when I can find out those five things, I've got opportunities to connect. And that's all I'm looking for when I'm talking with people and how you say it when you keep it non-threatening. We come away and now I have the ability with all that intelligence to do unique follow-up, if you can imagine that, right? And, you know, one of my favorite stories, I, I was, I, I did this on a client, a prospect, one of my clients, right? And I said, you know, I asked the Fab Five, he gave me the answers. He tells me he's from Cincinnati, you know, he's played uh, baseball at the University of Cincinnati. He's got four daughters, the whole nine yards. I gather all this intelligence. He's a wine connoisseur. He's a big red machine fan. And it was through that I was able to uniquely follow up like nobody else has ever done with him. You know, he was a big Red Machine baseball fan and his favorite player, he told me, was Tony Perez. So I sent him a hand note and follow up. I said, hey, thanks for getting to know you personally and professionally. It's not an expensive bottle of wine like you collect, but it is a baseball card that's 50 years old. I think you'd enjoy it. I put a Tony Perez baseball card in an envelope and sent it to him. I mean, I would have never been able to do that, create a connection if I never asked the questions. So Fab Five, there you go. And is there a particular order that you ask them in? I like them that way. Born and raised, family, school, career journey, and passion. I see a lot of, and I do this with salespeople too when I coach them. You know, a lot of people start with the passion first, and they don't even call it passion, they call it hobby. And what do they do? They may have just watched the Cincinnati Reds. They go, hey, what do you think about the Reds game? I go, how do you even know I'm a baseball fan? <laughs> right? So, again, they're asking because what? They like it. So you got to make it open-ended. Rock, what are you passionate about? And if I told them, then they'd know and they can see if we can connect on that. But that order. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that when people ask me about what I'm passionate about first, yeah, or if I ask somebody else the same question, they may not have warmed up enough to feel comfortable yeah, yeah, really yeah. sharing what they're deeply sure. concerned about. Yeah, yeah. I found, and my experience has told me that that geography question is so soft. You know, as long as I... I'm not like a stalker telling you where you live right now. All I'm doing is looking. I sometimes, you know, I, I know you're from the East. I had a guy tell me he's from Jersey. And I go, wow, why can't you pump your own gas? You know, I, I just know some stats about the state <laughs> and I can create a conversation, right? And connect. That's all I'm trying to do. And now I'm really curious if you're really doing a lot of networking and you're asking these questions yep. and you're meeting a lot of people. How do you track the information? Because it's there's a lot of details buried in oh, this. Oh, man. That, um, I don't know about you, but once I get past about 10 people, I would probably forget most of it. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy, too? Because I think, you know, this is my sales background. We used to write stuff on the back of a business card, right? Or then we got index cards we write our notes on. Then we put them in folders. And I, I print off their LinkedIn profile and make notes on their LinkedIn profile. Then I'd make an Excel spreadsheet. And finally, I wised up and I came up with something that's called a sales CRM a software. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've got a software that I use. And I tell the audience I've used 10 of them in my career. And I was a power Salesforce user, way too big for people like me now and what I'm doing. But there's so many that are very intuitive and easy to use. I use one today called Pipedrive. And... I've actually incorporated, I have fields for my Fab Five. How about that? So after we talk, I take my notes, I automatically put them in my CRM, and I throw my notes away. I, I'm trying to be so good paperless, and it's got an app, 
So I'm out and about and I bump into David and I see some facts about David on my little phone here. And now all of a sudden I'm intelligent connecting when I've talked to 300 people in this past month. I can't remember everything, but when I could store it. So when you get good intelligence, you have to store it and save it. And that's how I do it. I use a, a, a software. Yeah. Are there other CRMs that you like, particularly for, for solo consultants? You know what? I, I've just resonated on uh, Pipedrive. I've rolled it out for probably seven of the companies I've worked for. I'm not a programmer, and it's that easy. So I'm a sales guy. So if I can, I can get my way around to tech stuff, Pipedrive, for me, is that easy. I'm not jumping off them. I've seen the more complex ones, and for me, it's been intuitive and um, a lot of drag and drop and stuff like that. I just love that. But fields that some of the softwares that's out there, they have names that you got to adjust your feelings towards their names. Pipedrive, I can call it whatever I want, right? I can call it the Fab Five. <laughs> it works. So no, I love it. I love it. Yeah. One thing that that struck me as you were describing your transition from working inside organizations to going out on your own is that you needed to change your networking. And I would think that as somebody who is involved in sales as a profession, would already have done lots of networking. Mm -hmm. You know, in a lot of cases, this is the one thing, and, and I'm in the business here, it's a consulting business, right? And I'm a fractional sales leader and I'm a sales coach. But what I was doing prior to this, I was a sales leader for 30 years. I wasn't carrying a bag. I wasn't the frontline guy out having a coffee. So I had all the team doing that, right? And they did that work. So it was almost reversed. I became a frontline contributor again, where I had to do those work. And I'm okay with that. And I did it, but it'd been a long time. And I think where I've seen some of my peers and associates that have tried to do the same thing as I, there's been some attrition. And I think I see it in consulting too, because there's peaks and valleys. You always have to be networking. You always have to be prospecting because... You know, when you get the business and you get busy and you don't look for it, then all of a sudden you're out of business. You're going to go find it again. So it's it's usually a peaks and valleys. And some folks don't have the financial wherewithal to last. So they tap out and they go back and get that job in corporate America and get that steady check coming in again. So uh, I think that's part of it, too. You, you really have to stay on top of that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Rock, when you went out on your own, how did you figure out what your niche was going to be and, and what your brand was going to be built around. You know, I, I was blessed at the time because that third time of that severance, I was working for the world's largest education university in the world and had a nice sales team. They were awesome people, had 200 plus frontline contributors and salespeople. I mean, they were, they were spreading education through corporate America. And I was just so pleased with their, what they were doing. And, and just as it happens in corporate America, uh, a new person comes into C-suite with a new idea, what they want to do with sales. And uh, they sever my boss, who was an awesome architect of what we were doing. And they go rock a, a little time later. I need you to get those 200 plus salespeople on a con call because I want to talk to them. I go, sure. And uh, about 120 seconds later, the entire team and me were severed. They were going to go in a different direction. And that was step one. I go, wow, the band broke up. You know, that's really what it was. And little did they know they're destined for greater things too, as I was, but it didn't feel very good at that time. 
when that happened in that magnitude and that volume of how it happened. And then 45 days later, my uh, youngest son, Ty, uh, at the age of 25, suddenly died. So now you have a severed job and a loss of a child all within 45 days, and you're going, Lord, there better be a sign here. I think there was a sign for me that says, I think there's something I'm supposed to do. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder and told me about this business. And with a leap of faith and a couple prayers, I jumped into the pool head first. And I've been going for seven years, going strong. Wow. So had you heard about this this niche before that? You know, I, I really hadn't. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Rock, you're, you're like, we're a quasi-franchise that's out there for this. For, we're looking for sales leaders that look just like you, you know, that are hamster wheels, that are burnt out and got skills and don't want to do the traveling. And I kind of said, wow, uh, it, it sounds it sounds like it's in my wheelhouse. I went to my wife. I said, it sounds exactly, she goes, it's exactly what you've been doing all your life. She says, I'm good with it as long as you don't go into a business that involves golf because that's one of my passions. So she didn't want me in no <laughs> golf business. But uh, as long as it was sales, she was okay with it. Tell me a little bit about who your ideal client is yep. and what problem you saw for them. Yeah, sure. And what, what I do with the bandwidth, and I'm a sole proprietor. So rock solid sales is rock right here. So you're dealing with the creator, the biller, the implementer, the executor, all in one. I operate in Southwest Ohio. So I'll deal in Cincinnati, Dayton, or some of the major cities, Northern Kentucky, Southeast Indiana. And I'm looking for mid to small size companies. And I've kind of targeted it. It has at least a, it has a minimum, um, a max of about six salespeople. So we're really dealing with a different dynamic than I was used to. Because what I want to do is a fractional leader. I want to work with multiple companies. What I do, it's people in process. I come on in, I said, do you have the right people and are they doing the right stuff? And I help implement change. I put in processes and then I coach. This is what nobody's doing. And this is why I think there's a huge need that's out there. Somebody that wants to coach. Uh, I, I want to help them. I don't say make 10 more phone calls. I'll show you how to make the first phone call and help you make the next one. And then let's go. Right. I got to figure out where you need help and I want to help you. And, uh, and today nobody wants to coach anybody. They just said, here's the number. If you don't hit the number, you got 30 days and we'll see you putting on a performance plan. I don't want to do that. So that's kind of my niche market and where I'm operating at. And uh, I've just been passionate about coaching though. I just, there, there's something that's, I, I, it resonates with me that's missing out there. Tell me a little bit about the characteristics of a company that does want to coach versus the vast majority that you say don't want to do it. Yeah. You know what? There's something about being a lifelong learner. I look at owners and presidents of companies that are open to change. You know, people that are open to consultants, open people that are open to fractional type employees. It is radically different. You know, at one point last year, I was vice president of sales for four companies at one time. Okay. You have to be open to that. It's radical. They, some folks want you in the office, you know, 60 hours a week. I mean, that's not going to happen. So there's got to be a fit with that. And the ones that I've seen that have been very, very successful with me, they have a passion to learn. They want to grow and they're willing to change. So I gather it's industry agnostic. Yep. And I, I, I've predominantly been always in B2B. So 
I've never been in retail. Uh, I got family that are in the, the party store business. They wait for people to come to their store. I, I just couldn't do that. So always going out, but uh, yeah. And I've usually, a lot of the companies I dealt with have sold, I, I'll call it selling Cadillacs. You know, they have premium prices are never the cheapest one on the block. And I always, I'm intrigued by that because now I'm selling where I'm teaching to sell value. You know, it's just not a, I found if you've got the cheapest product, sometimes we don't even need a sales team. We'll put it on the website and you come pick the lowest price. And there's people that do that now, but I love selling value and helping my sales team sell value. Can you share a story of a situation that you've walked into and, and how things have evolved? Yeah. You know, uh, there, there was a great situation. It's in the manufacturing industry and they didn't have a lot of process. They didn't have a CRM, family business, and they just needed help putting a sales plan together, right? And being an outsider coming in, I, I literally, because they were a quality company, they've been around for a long time. I just needed to build that, you know, trust and and let them be able to see that an outsider could fit in with this family. And we had one of the sales team members that would be an heir apparent to be that sales leader. And to see that person be open to growing and me coaching that person over a period of time until this year, I literally, I wouldn't say it's turning the keys over because it's not my company, but turning that role over to him and seeing how he's grown and the job that he's going to do and what we did over that period of time. You know, he learned and we helped grow the business. And I'm so excited to see where he's going to take it from here. But those are the situations when I can be involved and feel I made a difference because my job is never to stay there that long. If I'm there too long, maybe there's something going on and maybe you might want to hire me and I I don't want to do that either. Um, Well, Rock, this has been a really great conversation about your own transition, how you have overcome some, uh, some really major obstacles in your, your professional and personal life. And, um, how you've identified this particular niche and have done well in it and a little bit about the kinds of, of uh, clients where you solve their problems. If someone wants to learn more about anything we've discussed or access any resources you might have or get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go? You know, the best way to find me is on uh, LinkedIn. Rock Robinson, you type that in there and you type in Rock Solid Sales Consulting. I'm coming up first, okay? Come see me. I'd uh, love to have a conversation. You, all my contact information is there. Great. And uh, we will, of course, include your LinkedIn profile link in the show notes. So um, anyone who's listening can go there. If, um, you know, whatever platform you're listening on or whatever device you go to, um, go to our website, you can find the link in the show notes. So, Rock, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and going solo and sharing your, your story, your insights into... Um, what you're doing now based on many, many years of experience. My guest today has been the president of Rock Solid Sales Consulting, Rock Robinson. Thank you again for joining us. Yeah, awesome, Dave. Both Laura and Rock experienced major transitions when they left their positions as employees and started their own businesses. They both tapped into relationships that would benefit their new endeavors as entrepreneurs. Do you struggle to take consistent action on building your business? How do you feel about your progress? Would you like to be part of a structured, supportive process 
to help you implement ideas that you know will help you move the needle toward your goals. As a member of the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll have access to a structured process for growth. You'll also be a member of a community that's built to be a safe, caring place where inclusive, direct, active, and empowering conversations are welcome. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support you as an entrepreneur, access to experts, and answers to your burning questions. If you're committed to getting your consulting, coaching, or small business to grow on your own terms so that you can deliver great results to your ideal clients while supporting the lifestyle you want and you don't want to do it alone, apply to become a member of the Smashing the Plateau community. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com where we have additional resources to help consultants, coaches, and entrepreneurs build their business after a long career as an employed professional. We believe you should be able to do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.